Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. This is episode 658 with John Zuratsky. Enjoy. If you feel busy and distracted and you feel like you don't have time, it's not your fault. It's not because you don't have enough willpower or self-control. It's because of the world that we live in. It's because of the defaults that exist. But at the same time, you're the, you're the only person who can really do anything about it. G'day, welcome to the NY Podcast. How the heck are you? I hope you're well, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this episode, an exciting episode, guys. Today, I'm talking with John Zeratsky. He was a designer in the tech industry who became obsessed with the idea of redesigning time. He is the author of New York Times bestseller, Sprint, how to solve big problems and test new ideas in just five days. We do talk a little bit about that in the show. So some good ideas around, you know, solving problems around groupthink, about how to make better decisions in groups as well. I really enjoyed that part of our conversation. And then we discuss his newest book, which is just about launched. It's called Make Time, how to focus on what matters every day, guys. It's not all about productivity, but if it's productivity you want, then this is perfect for you. If it's more time you want to focus on what really matters in your life, then there's definitely something to learn. If you're the one thinking, if only there were more hours in the day, then you will definitely benefit from my conversation with John Zeratsky. Guys, it's really cool. Um, I love productivity. I love ideas on how to better use our time. And I think there's a few key takeaways that I've um, taken from this. Let me know what you get out of it as well. You can connect with me at thehiddenwire.com. You can check all it out. Check out all the show notes at thehiddenwire.com. And if you like the books, please support the show by using the links within the show notes as well. Guys, enjoy until the other end. See you soon. G'day, John. Welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Welcome to the, uh, the show. First time on the show. Thanks. That's right. Yeah, very excited. Episode 658. So, um, yeah, glad, wow. glad to have you here. That's a lot. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, they're starting to, uh, they're starting to pile up. So, uh, I get to speak <laughs> to brilliant people like you that have different perspective, different ideas, different thoughts um, that can benefit us all. So, I actually found your book online, which is called the new book being released soon, Make Time, How to Focus on What Matters Every Day. Uh, pretty important in this day and age, I believe, because people are seemingly over busy, time poor, um, and less and less focusing on what really matters in life, I think, um, at least. So yeah, certainly books like this um, hopefully can teach us some practices and some ideas and some different ways to think about how we can better use our time. So I suppose... That's that's why you wrote the book. But tell us a little bit um, before we get into the, that book, John, a bit about yourself and, and why you wrote this book. Yeah, sure. So uh, for about 15 years, I was a designer in the tech industry. Hmm. So I worked with some startups and I worked at uh, at Google for about 10 years. I was uh, working on Google's advertising products. How was that? YouTube. Uh, it was really interesting. Uh, when I first started working on the advertising products, I didn't expect to like it, but I found that it was super interesting because uh, you're essentially creating tools that businesses are using to find new customers, and that is that's essential to their business. So, well, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, worked at YouTube, uh, helped to redesign YouTube, uh, brought in the the idea of channels as being kind of these these fundamental elements within the site as opposed to just being profile pages. And then I spent about six years at Google Ventures 
and I was a design partner there, which means that after we would make an investment in a company, I would get to go and work with that company sort of like a, a free consultant and help them solve whatever challenges they were facing. Um, and given my background as a designer and a writer, that's kind of the lens through which I looked at whatever their challenges were. Um, and the interesting thing about all this work was that it didn't matter where I was, big company, small company, um, working on my own, working in teams, everybody felt like they didn't have time to do what they meant to be doing, what they wanted to be doing. And, and certainly, you know, that applies in, in kind of, you know, work life balance and, you know, personal lives and all those things that people Mm -hmm. think about. But even in the office, you know, people had this feeling and I, I, I certainly felt this way of, you know, getting to the end of the day and, and looking back and saying, well, what did I really do? Or, or thinking I've got something that's very important to get done today, but I'm not going to have time to actually do it until the end of the day. Right. I'm my, my time at work isn't really spent on the work that matters. Mm. And so, I struggled with these things and, and I just kept meeting people and talking to people who struggled um, and just uh, became really interested, really obsessed with yeah. helping people redesign and rethink how they're spending their time. So you became obsessed with it um, from a personal point of view. You struggled with, you know, I guess you do call it managing your time. People have different ways to look at that, but you struggled yourself personally as, as far as your productivity went. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know why, but I, I always had a, a drive to try to make good use of my time. Um, you know, even when I was, when I was really young, when I was growing up and I just, I, I always enjoyed pouring my energy into things Yeah, and, um, I, I pursued productivity at a certain point in my career. And I thought that, you know, that was really going to be the, that was the ticket. That was the solution to making good use of my time was to try to, pack as much into every hour to be hundred percent optimized and efficient. Um, everything should be perfectly organized and perfectly planned. And that was effective, but I didn't like the way it made me feel hmm. in those days. Um, at best I was like this, you know, productivity machine, but, but at worst I, I would also felt like a machine, you know, I didn't really feel yeah, um, human. Um, so, so that was kind of, that was kind of where I started and, and realizing that, that productivity wasn't the answer kind of led me on this, this quest, the search for a better set of habits and and mindsets, um, to, to feel like I was spending my time well. Yeah. Perfect. Now looking forward to to jumping into it uh, and getting a few ideas from you. You've also published another book, um, titled Sprint, um, co-author, I believe, um, yeah, that's right. Who, who's the other author? I've got the name. It's something Knapp. Yeah, uh, Jake Knapp. Yeah. Jake so, Knapp. Yeah. so Jake and I met at Google Ventures. Um, before Jake came to, to GV, to Google Ventures, um, I was working. I was in the role I described where I was trying to help companies yeah. um, with their, their big problems. But we had this unique challenge where we, would, we were expected to go into all sorts of different startups and a lot of them we knew a lot about, you know, they were e-commerce websites or mobile apps, those sorts of things. But GV was investing in robotics and healthcare and food and all these different categories that I really knew nothing about. And so I realized that, that having the mindset of an expert, you know, of going in and saying, well, I'll tell you what to do because I know what to do, that that wasn't, um, it wasn't honest and that wasn't effective. And we needed a system. We needed a way of helping companies solve their own problems. 
And right. Jake had been doing something uh, at Google called a design sprint. Mm. And this, the, the basic idea with the design sprint, as he had formulated it, was to help a team very quickly go from idea to prototype and to test that that prototype with customers, with real customers. Okay. And this seemed like a great thing for what we were trying to do at Google Ventures. So we brought Jake over to our team and together we ran about 150 sprints with all sorts of different companies. And as we were doing that, not only were we able to iterate and improve and tweak the process itself, but it kind of served as this laboratory for us to see how other people struggled with making time for their work and, and to pick up on some lessons of things that, that we saw work well week in and week out during these design sprints. Well, okay. That's interesting. And, um, just quickly on that, because it's probably relevant for a lot of people listening. Um, how do you identify problems with a client? Is it something that's pre-identified for you and you walk in there to help them, um, you know, solve and, and create an idea? Or is it something that you actually work to identify with them? Sometimes there was a clear, um, we knew what the problem was. Um, mm-hmm. It might be that this the, the company that we had invested in, that they would contact us and say, we're really struggling uh, to get um, new customers to sign up, for example. Um, It might be that one of our partners at Google Ventures, one of the more sort of business-minded investors, had said, look, I think this is something that this company is really struggling with. But more often than not, uh, we would go into a company and they would think that they had one problem, but really they had another. They would say, you know, we'd we'd love your help uh, redesigning our website. And then we'd, we'd dig into it and we'd find that the problem was that they they hadn't built a product that really solved a, a, a real problem that people had. You know, it was a it was a solution in search of a problem. So then we would dig in and we would work with them using the design sprint process, using the tools from the world of design. We would dig in and help them figure out well, what do your customers need? What are the opportunities? And how can we how can we build a product that that gets there? Interesting. Okay, and I like the um, the comment you made before. Rather than going in as an expert and, and just telling them what to do, you sort of go in there um, more collaboratively, I suppose, working with them to to identify all these things together. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And we wanted to um, we wanted to to help them. So just being honest with ourselves, we knew that that the best way to do that was not to tell them what to do, to talk at them, but we also wanted to give them a way of thinking, a way of spending their time that they could take and use on their own, even after we were gone, after, you know, our team from Google Ventures, after we had, we were, you know, moved on and working with a different company, they could still use the design sprint process. They could still use ideas about um, uh, how to come up with ideas in a group, you know, instead of working alone, instead of brainstorming or making decisions that aren't susceptible to groupthink or consensus uh, rapidly prototyping ideas, they could take all these tools and they could use them on their own. So it was part mm. sort of the, uh, you know, us wanting to be good at our jobs, but it was also in large part about wanting to give them something that they could use to become better at their jobs as designers and entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I really, I find it fascinating, um, just the whole idea of identifying, um, you know, the need or the the problem, I suppose. Is there anything that you can share that that might you know, if we're working with a client or we're trying to identify, um, you know, because everyone says, you know, find find a solution for the world's problems and, and you'll make a million dollars. 
you know, it's it's one of those things that um, yeah. often we we don't really identify the the actual need or the actual problem, and therefore we're providing solutions that aren't really that necessary. Yeah, any any sort of thoughts or practices you might be able to share on that, or perhaps you could you could delve into a little bit of the um, the sprint process. Yeah, probably the the most powerful thing that we did, which is part of the design sprint process. Um, it's also a very simple thing. It's a very obvious thing. Uh, is is just talking to your customers, and ideally, talking to your customers with some type of prototype, some type of uh, realistic uh, kind of example of what you have in mind, of what you're thinking of building before you've built it. Um, but using that as kind of a prop or a device in that conversation. So this approach, this this technique works no matter what kind of company it is, no matter what stage they're at. Um, if, you, if you're literally just beginning and you think that IT managers might need a solution to help them with uh, security problems, um, or you're a very mature company, like we did several design sprints with Slack, where they were focused on expanding their customer base beyond their existing pool of technology companies and trying to reach new kinds of customers. No matter where you're at in that spectrum, that simple idea of of talking to a customer mm. and using a prototype of some kind um, as part of that conversation is is incredibly powerful and it's it's always worth the time. Okay, so it just helps them conceptualize it and see it on a more contextual yeah, sort of level. Yeah, I the 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 really the important thing about the prototype is getting people out of getting customers out of a mindset where they're trying to give you feedback they're trying to sound smart you know you're asking them what do you think what do you think we should do and mm. so they they sit back and they they scratch their chin and they say well you know what i think you ought to do is whatever yeah. um there's a big difference between that and when they're reacting when they're looking at the website for a new product that you just put in front of them and they're, they're just processing it in real time. And you're, you're, you're with them. You're, you're going along on that journey with them as they go through and they say, Oh, this is interesting. Oh yeah. Oh, well that probably wouldn't work with our system. And that's a little pricey. And well, I don't know if I'd be willing to lock in for a year. I might want to start with just a month. You're getting a very different kind of, um, of information from the customer that we find is, is much, much more useful and much more trustworthy. You Mm. can really, uh, you can be sure, or you can be more sure that that represents really how the customer is thinking as opposed to whatever they think is going to sound smart coming out of their mouth. Yeah, that's interesting. That's cool. I like that. And so just the design sprint process, what is that like a step-by-step process that you sort of go through? It is, yeah. It's a five-day process, and we experimented with uh, making it really long and making it really short, and eventually came up with a recipe that we feel uh, any team can pick up and they can use. Very much like the recipe for baking a cake or or making a uh, you know making dinner. Um, If you follow the steps, you're probably going to get a good result. Um, Mm. the The first day is about mapping out the problem and understanding the problem. The second day is about coming up with solutions to that problem. Um, we don't do any group brainstorming in a sprint. We have each person on the team work individually. We call it working alone together. So everybody's in the same room together, but they're kind of working on their own sketch ideas. 
on Wednesday, the team narrows down that field of all the different solutions because, you know, there's seven or eight people in a sprint. You're going to have 10 or more different ideas. So is that more collaborative and, then, not that Wednesday? It, it is. It's definitely more collaborative, but uh, there's a, we use a series of structured decision-making exercises mm-hmm. uh, to avoid some of the problems with group decision making. So uh, as I'm sure you've experienced, yeah. if you've ever tried to make a decision as a group, you've got, you know, there's, there's people who, who kind of hold the floor because they're the best speakers or they're the loudest. There's the people who have the most authority who, who might throw that authority around. They might throw that weight around, or they might be afraid to. There's people who try to seek consensus and avoid, um, conflict and you know, stuff avoid like conflict. Mm. Uh, and there's there's groupthink where people talk themselves into ideas as a group that <laughs> they wouldn't decide to do as individuals. And so by going through a series of structured steps, we avoid a lot of those problems. How would you um, avoid such things? Like what, what's an, an idea that you could use to help avoid, you know, those those situations? Yeah, one of the the, the so the details of the steps are all they're described in the book and they're also actually um on our our website so the sprintbook.com has yep. really a, a lot of detail on all these steps um but the the core of the decision making exercises is about evaluating concrete suggestions not abstract ideas so instead of people throwing out things and saying hey what if we did this it's an idea that has been written down that an individual has some has had some time to to think through and create yeah. a thoughtful kind of sketch of that idea, and then um, the the group has an opportunity to anonymously vote on those ideas, so to review them all and without any discussion whatsoever and without knowing who created each of those ideas to weigh in, to say in an, in a non-binding way, you know, it's not a democracy and we don't think that that's the right way to make decisions in a, in a team environment either, but to weigh in and say, I think this is really promising. I think that this could, this could potentially work. Then doing a, um, a very short critique, a discussion. And and this is a, a, a kind of a technique that comes from the design world. So, uh, having a, a moderated discussion about the pros and cons of each idea and then giving the decision maker, the decider in the group, the authority to make the final decision. So after they've collected all the input from the okay. group via the voting and via the, the critique, the decision maker places that final vote and says, this is what I think we should do. So it's, it's opinionated. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's opinionated and it, it, um, it sort of tends toward risky decisions, which is what we want in a design sprint. But it also makes sure that we've heard from everybody in the group. Everybody has had a chance to weigh in. Yeah. Okay. And you're avoiding the whole group thing. That's cool. So we've got problem solutions, narrowing it down. And then what's the, uh, the last two days look like? Thursday is prototyping day. Uh-huh. So that's when the team turns these ideas, which are in sketch form at that point, into something that they can put in front of customers. And the key shortcut to making that work is to build what we call a realistic facade of the finished thing. So it might be the product itself, it might be the marketing for that product, it might be you know a sign-up flow for, for a software product, but it's not meant to be complete or even functional. Mm-hmm. It's just meant to look real so that when customers are looking at it, they are giving you those those authentic reactions. Yep. Um, 
but by not building the entire thing, just building this facade, it's something that you can do in just one day. Okay. Yeah. And then Friday is the test. So Friday is when we put that prototype test. in front of customers. We do uh, typically five customer interviews. These are one-on-one interviews. Again, um, we're very sensitive about kind of group dynamics. So we don't do any focus groups where you might have um, you know, people who kind of dominate the conversation or people who say things that they might not otherwise say or, or, or think. We do one-on-one customer interviews where we spend about 45 minutes to an hour walking that customer through a series of questions and showing them one or more prototypes and getting their reactions to those prototypes in real time. Okay, that's cool. There's um, a lot to that process and, uh, you know, just what you've shared then, um, you know, about identifying problems, etc. cetera. Um, so I'll stick the link in the show notes for that book too, guys. So check it out at thehiddenwhy.com and uh, take a read. I'm sure there's there's a lot of stuff there that could go across disciplines too um, as far as the ideas yeah. and, and practices that you might have within there. Definitely, yeah. We've, um, we've heard stories. The book has been out about uh, two and a half years now and mm. we've heard stories from around the world uh, from big companies, from small companies, from nonprofits, schools, museums. Um, so it really is being used in a lot of different situations and it's being used as, as a cohesive process. So as the five day recipe, but people are also breaking the pieces apart and they're using, for example, those decision-making exercises I talked about, they're using those in, in regular meetings, uh, to, to make better decisions. Which is great. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, part of it is about just getting better at design, you know, better at making decisions and, and doing the things that we mean to do as teams, as companies, as organizations. But it's also a, a admittedly rather extreme example of how a team can redesign their time, how they can wipe away the defaults of how business normally works, you know, where there's lots of meetings kind of scattered throughout the calendar mm. and lots of emails and chat yeah. and different things sort of trying to slowly push things forward the design sprint's an opportunity to wipe that stuff away and for one week work in a very different way, work in a way that has a totally different set of defaults. Yeah, perfect. I like it. And good segue into your newer book, uh, Making Time. You know, those, you know, making decisions in group situations, certainly um, I've come from many different um, backgrounds that these group meetings were just very unproductive and, and nothing more frustrated me than actually going to these things. I hated it because <laughs> yeah. I'd often get there. There was only one company that really did it well and that's because they had a, a good leader who was very much like me, impatient, just wanted to you know get to <laughs> get to what was important um, and not just Yeah, impatience is a very, uh, very valuable uh, characteristic in a meeting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have no patience. So <laughs> a lot of them weren't weren't that great for me. So let's talk about um, making, uh, you know, how to how to make better use of your time. Focus on what matters every day. I met a person yesterday, and I went in there um, uh, as a potential client, and I could just tell this person was just overwhelmed by everything, and, and it was just like I could see her mind racing because she had the next task, the next task, the next task that was just occupying her mind, and she just was going 100 miles an hour, but I'm sure if I actually sat there and just watched this person, they probably wouldn't be that effective in, in getting things done in their in their work life and probably in their personal life as well. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's certainly something that I've I've struggled with and something that, that Jake and I have seen on lots of different teams. 
And the, the book that we wrote, it's really the, it's a book that we wish we could have read a long time ago. So it, uh, at its core, it describes four steps that help people, um, every day, uh, just make better decisions about, about their time. It starts with choosing a highlight, which is sort of the, the proactive focus for what you want to spend time on. Um, the next step is, is called laser and it's all about creating barriers to distraction. So helping people reconfigure their technology so that it's more difficult to get distracted. So you don't have to use willpower to, to stay in focus. Um, the third step is, is energize, which is all about helping people build energy. You know, we, we believe that if you want to make good decisions and make good use of your time, uh, you need to have energy. You need to take care of yourself, of your body. Um, and, and perhaps the most important step is actually the, the fourth one that so few of us, I think are in the habit of doing, which is to reflect to just a little bit every day, not talking about some big journaling exercise or anything crazy, but just look back on the day and say, what did I want to make time for? And did it happen? And if it didn't happen, what can I do about it? And Mm. and that's where the rest of the book comes in, which is sort of a, a menu of 87 different tactics. And these are all small things. So to return to the, the cookbook metaphor, you know, we don't expect anybody to, to do all of them. We don't expect anybody to make all the recipes in the cookbook. But if you are struggling, maybe you feel like you, you always spend too much time in your email, or maybe you feel like you spend all day in meetings and then you, you're never able to do the work that you mean to do. You can kind of flip through this cookbook and find the recipe, find one of these tactics that might help you. And then, because you have, you've got this habit of reflecting, you can try it, you can see how it goes, and then you can, you can look back and, and evaluate how well it worked for you. Okay. Is this, is this process something that you've now implemented with, with clients on a professional basis? It, it is not, actually. Um, this is something that has really been much more of a personal journey, right. okay. yeah. uh, something that, that Jake and I have have struggled with ourselves and, and developed solutions to. Hmm. And then, um, over the last couple of years, we've been sharing these ideas. We, we started a, a newsletter called time dorks that was all about our experiments in time management and encouraging people to try these things. A lot of the things that are in the book, but, uh, encouraging people to try, uh, going distraction free on their phone, for example, removing all the apps that have an infinite supply of content. Um, or blocking part of their calendar every day to, you know, start the day with a block of uninterrupted time to focus on the things they want to do. We started sharing these ideas. And so we, we were able to get feedback from from lots and lots of different people who were trying these ideas, putting them into practice. But, but yeah, I have to admit that it's not something that's been really applied in a, in a business environment as Mm. of yet. But, Mm. But even though the book is not out yet, that's one of the, the top questions that we're getting is, how can my team do this? How can, how can my company embrace these ideas, um, not just as a, as a group of individuals, but as, as a group, as a, as a team, as a whole? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, looking at that sprint process, um, uh, you know, there is definitely a process there that you can take away and implement. And the reason why I ask is because I've got, I'm very fascinated about productivity. It's one of those things I feel that I've, I've, 
not had, well, almost had naturally, to be honest, in my life, highly organized. Yeah. Perhaps that's because yep. I'm partly impatient as well. Um, <laughs> so I really do just clear, you know, what's unnecessary. And even in the last several years, I've noticed this shift um, becoming more productive, more effective with my time and focusing and really what matters to me. But I've created this similar to yours is a, is a process that people can go through to become hopefully more effective and productive with their time. Um, but I have right. this underlying question is how can I actually help people, you know, I can share some practices and, and this and that and show them a process, but how do I actually then help them implement it and, you know, really become effective? Like it seems to me something so easy, but I know that just putting it in a book of words or whatever, explaining it, um, it may not have the impact that I'm wanting. So yeah, it's just yeah. an interesting one. It is definitely. And, and I think that, there's a couple of things that are, that are going to help um, encourage people and enable people to use these ideas. One is is uh, just sort of the mindset that it's experimental, you know, that um, there's no expectation that people will do all this stuff, that we're not being overly prescriptive. We're not saying, you know, do these 19 things every day and you'll be golden. Um, we're saying, hey, we know that, that everybody struggles with these things. Um, here's a set of tactics that have worked for us. that have worked for some other people. And, and, and we want you to try one or we want to try two. And we want you to just take it slow, start small, um, try to, to develop a little bit of, um, of self-awareness, I guess, to, to think about your time and think about where you're spending your time in a way that makes you happy and, and yep. feels good. Um, and just try to make a small change. And, and that's how it began for us and for, for Jake and, and me. And we feel like the small changes, they compound over time. They start as just one little change, but then that one little change becomes automatic. And you start to feel, for example, like you've got more time because you don't have Facebook or Twitter on your phone. Um, and then with that time you say, well, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can start working on that, that book or that story that I've been meaning to write. And you start working on that story and then you realize, wow, it's, I didn't realize how difficult it was to, you know, to, to actually work, uh, in an uninterrupted way for more than an hour. Why is that? Oh, well, maybe it's because the time that I have set aside to do that is, is in the evening and the rest of my family is, um, you know, they're, they're watching TV around me, um, while I'm trying to work. So what can I do about that? Oh, maybe I can, uh, you know, experiment with moving to a different environment, a room, you know, wearing headphones, uh, you know, sort of going through this process of just tackling one challenge at a time and using make time, using the book as kind of that, that toolkit that you can use as you try to solve each of those problems. Yeah, perfect. It's interesting. I just, um, finished reading a book by James Clear, um, He's oh, yeah. also a guest on the show um, in a couple of yeah. weeks. And, yeah, I really like his um, stuff. Yeah, well, he talks about the, the habits and how um, yeah, he's got one example in there. I can't. It was about a guy who went to the gym, and basically all he did, that's all right, he went in to the gym every day, walked in with his gym clothes on, um, and then pretty much walked out, and he just did that repeatedly <laughs> every day. 
um, just wow. to get in the habit of actually going to the wow. gym. And then he yeah. started going, well, I'm here, I might as well do something and then built from there. And that's the idea of those small steps. And, and certainly in my experience, obviously your experience as well, you know, it's experimental. It's just starting to do one thing at a time and then gradually, um, you know, you, you, you build from there and it just becomes those accumulations of practices, of habits, of systems that allow you to be more effective. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at um, other books about productivity and time management, uh, and I've read tons of them because this is something that I think about a lot, um, I think they can be quite daunting. You know, you, you, you pick up that book because you have a motivation, you have an impetus to change something. But if, if then you read that book and it feels like it's, it's too much change all at once, I think that you're going to be less likely to actually make those changes. And so I think part of what we try to do with make time is, is capture people at that moment, you know, meet people where they are right in that moment where they're feeling like they never have time. they feel like they're too busy. They're too distracted, but instead of hitting them with, you know, here's the, here's the 20 part system, um, that you have to do exactly by the book. Um, Presenting them with a with a message that I think is more forgiving, uh, more human, more experimental, and really thinking of it as a as a relationship, you know, as an ongoing process instead of uh, you know this application of a very fixed one size fits all mm. formula. Yeah, and that's why your process is it is quite simple. I mean, just looking at it, highlight, laser, energize, reflect. I mean, there's there's four steps. Um, and straight away, it doesn't feel like it's overwhelming or, or cluttered or complex, um, which which is great. I guess a lot of people are going to be able to take that on board um, with a lot more grace than a, a you know a twenty step process, for example. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, one of the one of the sort of guidelines or principles that Jake and I had when we were writing this book is if somebody read the book and then they they used the four steps, but they didn't use any of our tactics, right? So they were, they were doing the highlight. They were, they were finding focus. They were building energy. They were reflecting, but they were coming up with their own unique ways of doing that. That would be success. That would be a huge success. So the tactics, the specific techniques about reconfiguring technology or rearranging your calendar, Mm. those are our suggestions. But like you said, this simplicity of this four-step process, that's what we hope will will work for people. That's the thing that we hope will really help them make time. Right. So understand the concept, understand what it means to highlight, and then whether you use your techniques and practices or someone else's, I mean, because there's, there's an overwhelming amount of information out there and ideas and practices, you know, yeah. how to be more focused, for example. Um, yeah. And, but really, it's about that experimental process, which is very much individual. You know, what works best for you in your situation, in your life? Everyone's life is different. Everyone's environment's different. Everyone, pro, you know, totally. we are all very different. So, yeah, I like that. It's just understanding the concept and then um, just sort of going back to that as your template to, you know, better time management. Yeah. And, and I think that when you, when you are in this habit of, of experimenting, of trying things and reflecting, Obviously, it helps, it helps you find the things that work for you. But there's another benefit, which is that you believe in those findings in a way that you would never believe in a, a study that you read about in the newspaper. You know, yeah, right. Because, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a perfectly scientific 
a scientifically valid study, it's, it's an N of one, you know, there's, there's just you, but you're the only person that matters. Uh, nobody cares more about your time and your energy than you do. And so if you can experiment with yourself and find something that works, you're golden. You don't need to know whether it worked on a thousand other people. Um, if, 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 as long as it works for you. It's so true. I mean, they're the things that stick, don't they? I mean, I'm just thinking about my life at the moment and the things I do health-wise. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the things I've incorporated into my life, yes, I've looked out there and, and found things, but then I've just adopted it to my own style. And, um, you know, when I feel that it works, when I feel that there's some sort of effectiveness from it, um, they stick and it stays with me. So, yeah, yeah spot yeah, on. Yeah, what, um, what is it about making time? I mean, when I, when I think about making time, people are – you know, I'm just jumping to the the thought that it means I can have more time to do more things. It's not really about that, is it? No, that's that's not really the way that, that I approach it. Um, and 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 certainly, I think if somebody wants to use these ideas to become more productive, then then there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think that um, in fact, one of the the best outcomes I imagine. So, sorry, John, just just pause for a sec. We've got a bit of a connectivity problem right now. Sure. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. How, how am I sounding? Yeah, it's cutting in a little bit, but hopefully it's not too bad. Sorry, continue. Poor sure. network connection. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> those things happen. All right, um, let's try. We'll, we'll persevere. I think one of the best outcomes I could imagine for somebody who, who reads this book is that they're able to, to spend more time and more focus on a project or an activity that really excites them. You know, they're, they're pouring their energy into something that they just love or mm. something that they've never been able to make time for, but now they can. And so if that looks like if that ends up, you know, looking from the outside, like they're busy, you know, like they're, they're, they're more productive than ever. Their, their schedule is packed because they've, they've been able to clear the space to spend that time in the way they want. Then I, I, I have nothing bad to say about that. You know, Mm. that, that, that's fantastic. I think, um, not everybody will, will, will have that one thing or will want to live their life in that way. But I think that that's a great outcome. I think that we, in the book, we, we say that, make time is not about productivity because we don't think productivity is the, it's the solution. We think that it might be the outcome. If you make time for the things you want and then you find that there's this self reinforcing process of, of just spending more and more time on those things that matter. That's great. But Jake and I, and lots of other people, we've been down that road of saying, well, I just need to cram in a few more things. I just need to get more productive and then I'll feel good. Um, I think that's confusing the, the cause for the effect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. It's a good way to look at it. I've heard of it, um, you know, referred to as not time management, rather energy management. You know, where do you want to focus your energy? Um, and also, you know, time really is is a, a perspective or a perception of yeah. you know the events that occur in our lives so it's about you know which events do you want to have happen and 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 not happen um yeah so you can you know better use that time available for those events that you want if that makes sense well and one yeah absolutely and one of the things that i think makes productivity 
or the pursuit of productivity, um, you know, feel makes us feel busy or, you know, feel less than good is that it, uh, it, it tends to blur the passage of time. It tends to, um, make it difficult for us to focus on any particular thing that we did or any activity that we're really excited about. And so one of our hypotheses in the book is that by slowing down that process a little bit, and instead of looking at the to-do list, you know, the set of things that you want to get done every day, um, we believe that by proactively choosing a highlight and planning your day around that one kind of medium-sized activity that you want to make time for, um, not only will you have the time, which is a great thing, but, but you'll feel like time is slowing down. You'll, your perception of time will change because when you look back on that day, you'll say, yeah, I had all these meetings and I had to run around on these errands and these emails to do, but I was able to make breakfast at home or I was able to go for a walk in the park or I was able to finish that presentation or I was able to uh, land that that new customer or whatever that big thing is that you, mm. you want to make time for. Um, so that's, that's kind of our belief that you're not only making time by focusing on that highlight, but you're slowing down your perception of time. Absolutely. Yeah. No, Cause when you're flustered and stressed and overwhelmed with things to do, time goes fast, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. You yeah. know, this on, on weekends, that's why the weekends go so fast because we, we only have these two days and we go out there and try and fill as much as we can to it. And then it's all over and you just go, wow, that went quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Perhaps. Yeah. I went through a, a period when I, um, back when I was really obsessed with being as productive as possible, I went through a period where I, I applied all those same tactics and, and, you know, productivity hacks to my personal life as well. And so, you know, I tried to be very organized and planned and, and efficient with my, my weekends and my evenings and all this stuff. And, and that was just miserable. You know, I, I've felt, you know, when, when I, started it, I thought, well, this will be great because I'll be able to do more of the stuff I want to do. But in practice, I just felt time, felt like time was going by more quickly than ever. It's flying. Yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about highlighting, um, you know, that's about focusing on, on that thing that matters in your day. Yeah. So you actually just go, well, this is really yeah. what I want to achieve out of today. So yeah. what clear the schedule so nothing else matters and that can just be the priority. Is that what it's about? Yeah, that's basically the idea. Um, the highlight might be something that you need to get done. Um, it could be something that will be really satisfying to complete. You know, it's maybe it's not time sensitive, but it's something that's important. And it might just be something that you want to do, just something that brings you joy, something that's fun. Um, Jake and I have been thinking this way and planning our days this way for, for years now. And it's very, at this point, it's very intuitive. You know, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what our highlight is going to be. We just sort of know. Um, and then we, we plan around, but, but I think when people are starting in this, in this way of approaching their days, using kind of those strategies of, of urgency, satisfaction, and joy, um, can be really helpful. Uh, and, and of course it's not the, the only thing that you'll do, you know, the idea that you could clear your calendar so that you're only spending time on this highlight, that would be wonderful if it was possible, but it's not realistic for people. So um, what we encourage people to do is is to make small tweaks, to, to reclaim time from what we call infinity pools, which are social media and the news and, and things on our phones mostly that 
have a tendency to just kind of eat up our time, mm. but then also rethink some of the the defaults that exist about you know how long meetings should be or how meetings are scheduled, right. um, so that we can not completely revamp our day. I mean, if if you get to that point, that's obviously wonderful. But but when you're starting out, you're just carving out maybe sixty to ninety minutes for that highlight, just a bit of time for that thing that's really important to you, um, so that you can you can have that satisfaction of knowing that you made time for it. Yeah, it's cool, and I like that too. I mean, I think it's partly about eliminating, but sometimes it's just about. Um, just questioning, you know, why is this in, in my day today? Does it have to be here? Does it have to have that allocated time? Could it be done, you know, at a different time? Um, and really just yeah. questioning each of those tasks. And then that'll either then go to elimination or go to, well, perhaps, perhaps I don't need to do this every day. Perhaps it's something I could do once a week. Yeah. Well, so many of the, so many of the ways that we spend our time in, in today's world, um, are, are because of defaults. Hmm. You know, they're not really yeah. things that we we sat down and we planned out and we said, you know, what's what's the best way to spend all my time today, right? We don't, we, nobody really operates in that way. Um, but we have, you know, by default, we've got email and, and social media on our phone. And by default, um, meetings tend to be all, 60 minutes or maybe 30 minutes if you're lucky. Um, and, and those meetings are sort of uh, scattered around our calendar. They're not clumped together um, to preserve, you know, open stretches of time. By default, the expectation is that if you receive a message, an email or an instant message, that you're going to respond to it as quickly as possible. And some of these things are appropriate and good in, in certain situations, but in other cases, they're not. In other cases, it's just the way things are. You know, it's just the default behavior that's stuck over decades and, and you know, centuries. Um, and so by rethinking some of those defaults, like you're saying, uh, just kind of looking at something and saying, why is it that way? Like, why do I always look at Facebook when I get out of bed in the morning? Like, is that, is that what I want to be doing? Is that how I want to be starting my day? And if not, what can I do about it? Um, just that simple shift in mindset from operating on autopilot, getting dragged through the day and just being a little bit more proactive can have a phenomenal effect on the way that your days go and the way that you feel. Hmm. Yeah. Having a bit more self-awareness about what's, what's happening in your life. And I think that's, you know, things accumulate. I remember a few years ago when I was in real estate, um, probably a couple of years in, and I just had all these, these things that I did day to day, week to week. Um, and I just sat back and, and the, the process I went through was the 80, 20, well, what's the 80% that's getting 20% of the results and vice versa, um, yeah. yeah, aligned with the Pareto principle. And then I realized mm-hmm. that there's all these tasks that just built up over the time that I thought was part of what was necessary. And I realized that it weren't. Um, and suddenly I cleared my schedule. Um, and why this came to mind is because I was going to these conferences or events that were sort of two or three days out of my work week and I coming mm-hmm. back and feeling like, oh, geez, I had all this, you know, I had to fit now six days into three days or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and still getting through it and going, well, hang on, you know, um, because I focused really in those three days what was absolutely priority and I got rid of the rest. Um, so yeah. that's, that's when I brought about it and I thought, you know, I can actually do this job in, in a lot less time than I've been doing it. Um, and it's just that's because I accumulated a lot of extra things. Right. So you had almost a, an external um, forcing factor that, that caused you to, to sit back and consider like, like, wow, I really am able to do my job in, in two thirds of the time or, or 
three fifths of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was just yeah, one of those things. Well, hang on, I'm, I'm doing the same job, and I've just been taken away for two days this week. What's what's going on there? So that's when you start to yeah. question. And I think that's like you say, it's just default. So we get to that certain point, and I think that's why it's good to, you know, at, at least once a year or maybe once every quarter, is just to look at your calendar and go, hey, what's working here? What's not? Let's think, rethink this. Um, there may be everything fine. Um, but you might yeah. find too that there's things that just aren't working, and it's a good chance too, I think, to to just shake it up a little bit. Like I often look at my my workout routine, you know, my morning routine, and that changes for me, you know, at least every six months. Um, mm, yeah. And I like it because it means I'm doing something different. It sort of keeps me entertained, I suppose, rather than sure. just getting yeah. sort of um, complacent with what I'm doing. Um, yeah. And I think that's very good too. So yeah. Yeah, that, that it was something really interesting that we observed when we were uh, running all the design sprints at Google Ventures was that we would we would be talking with a company and we would suggest that we run a design sprint to help them solve a problem, and they would all they would be terrified almost about the idea that they would be spending five days on one thing, and and the design sprint runs from ten a.m. to five p.m. Yeah, right. uh, every, every day for for a week, and and. You know, ultimately, I think teams would would be willing to give it a shot if if the problem was big enough. You know, if the challenge was big enough and important enough to them. Yeah. But then at the end of the week, uh, it, it was remarkable in a lot of cases how people felt that they really hadn't missed that much. You know, all those emails that they weren't responding to right away, and all those little you know, status meetings and check in meetings, and all the default routine things that had built up in their schedule. They missed all that stuff for a week, and not only did the world not end, the, you know, the, the business didn't fall apart, but they were more effective and more productive, and they were able to spend time on the part of their job that really mattered instead mm. of just doing all the, you know, administrative and bureaucratic aspects of the work. So that that was something that that uh, you know I felt myself as as you have as well, but that was particularly powerful for me to see that in all these different companies and all these different teams. Yeah, well, it would have been a feeling of uh, freedom, I, I would imagine. Um, and yeah, and, and kind, of a, hmm. kind of a feeling of, of like, I don't know if I want to go back. You know, I don't know if I want to go back to the old way. Um, and, and that type of shock or, you know, uh, sort of um, dramatic change can really open people's eyes to um, just the, the flexibility that they they really do have about how they spend their time. Yeah, it just makes you, you know, those those situations make you rethink. And, you know, you hear about people that have near-death experiences and it yeah. gives them that opportunity to rethink how they're living their life and suddenly um, all that unnecessary, unimportant stuff's gone and they're really focusing on what truly matters. Um, that's right. So yeah. I guess that's what it's all about, mate. Thank you uh, for sharing. I want to encourage people to pick up a copy of the book. So I'm going to stick a link in the show notes, um, also the Great. links yeah. to your your website. So you've got a, a few different websites there. Obviously, you've got the one for the Sprint book. Um, so Sprint, is it Sprint? Oh, thesprintbook.com. Yep. And you've also got maketime.com. Maketimebook.com. Maketimebook.com. Um, have you got a personal website? How, how can people reach reach out to you? You know, I think the, the very best way uh, for people to follow what I'm doing these days um, is to go to timedorks. Timedorks, P-I- yeah. M-E-D-O-R-K-S.com, Time Dorks, um, and subscribe there. That's our newsletter about 
about all this stuff, about all the, the work that we're doing on time management. Um, and then uh, perhaps ironically, I would suggest that people follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's my my social network of choice, um, my my guilty pleasure, I guess. Uh, and, and my username is Jazzer, J-A-Z-E-R on Twitter. All right, I'll stick those in the show notes. Um, mate, just a quick moment for some quick round questions. Um, there's about 10 or so questions here um, that we'll go through. So the first question I want to ask you is, do you have any routines or rituals that you believe contribute to your success? Yeah, definitely. Um, the most powerful one is having a distraction-free phone. So no email, no social media, no news, no games. Uh, I have nothing on my phone that has an infinite supply of constantly replenishing content. Cool. What is your definition of success? I think my, the the way that I think about success is feeling like I spent every day in a way that felt good. Um, and I don't mean that in a, in a hedonistic sense, but I mean that I felt productive. I felt like I was contributing. I was of service to other people. Um, and I was doing it in a way that was sustainable. So whether that means that you've got a big business or a small business or no business, um, to me, that's, that's my gold standard for success. Okay. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? That's a tough question. I don't know because, you know, I think that, uh, I think that the journeys that we all go through, the, the learning processes, the mistakes that we all need to make, um, are, are such an important part of who we become that the idea of trying to, to change that journey early on, yeah. uh, is, is kind of a weird thought, but I, I would probably say, I would probably encourage my 20 year old self to, to spend more time and more energy, um, on people, on the people that I care about on relationships. Cause that's something that the older I get, the, the more, um, the more I, I, I find myself valuing. Yeah. Um, other than distraction free phone, what tool resource or practice, um, do you think is, is the best for your personal productivity? Probably, um, a few years ago, I retrained myself to become a morning person. So, uh, I, am sort of naturally a, a night owl, but, um, my wife was working at a business where they had a lot of early meetings. And so she was getting up really early. And oftentimes that meant that I wasn't seeing her in the morning. And then, you know, in the evening I was working on stuff, but she was tired from work. So I decided that I would try to change my habits and my defaults and my environment so that I could become a morning person. And that feeling of getting up early and having a couple of hours before the day begins um, to spend on something that's important to me that has, uh, completely changed my life. Okay. So what does your morning routine look like just briefly? Yeah, it's nothing, it's nothing crazy. You know, I don't, I, I don't do you know, meditation or any particular kind of exercises or anything like that. It's really just, um, 
it starts with the night before, making sure that I'm getting to bed early enough that I'm uh, I'm not staring into screens or you know e- eating or drinking too much, doing things that would affect my ability to sleep, so that I can wake up early, um, make coffee right away, and then um, you know I try to configure my computer and my phone the night before so that it's not immediately sucking me into my email or, uh, or Twitter or the news or something like that so that I can, I can start in the start, start in first thing that morning with, um, with working on something that's important to me. So I usually, usually spend one to two hours in the morning working on my highlight for the day, um, which is often something, some type of work, some writing or something that I want to do. Um, and then once I've got that out of the way, then I feel like anything else that happens that day is kind of gravy. You know, I can, yeah. <laughs> I can give, I can give myself a little bit of, of permission to, to, you know, not, not be perfect the rest of the day, as long as I, I got up early and I had that undistracted time. Yeah. I like it. What, if you were uh, to be served your last meal, what would you request? Well, <laughs> I, I should I should probably come up with an answer that has some sort of deep meaning or something like that, but no. but I think I would just want a really great hamburger. <laughs> yeah. What one leisure activity um, do you enjoy the most? I don't know if it's it, how leisurely it is, but I really uh, love sailing. Um, I grew up sailing small boats, and uh, my wife and I actually uh, we spent eight of the last twelve months uh, living on our sailboat and sailing from San Francisco to Panama down the Pacific coast of North America. So that is, that is, is, yeah, exactly. So that's a, I feel incredibly lucky that I, I was introduced to sailing um, when I was a kid by Mm. my parents because it's just one of those lifelong activities that, you know, you can do when you're seven years old and you can do when you're 70 years old. And, uh, and the more time I spend on it, the more time I want to spend doing it. So, so, so that's something I really love to do. That's great. Um, what book would you pass down? Like one book that you'd recommend for everyone to read or pass down to, you know, your your children or future generations other than your own, of course. (laughs) I read a lot. I read, uh, I try to read like, um, about two books a month. So this is a hard one for me. It is a hard one. Yeah. What's the first one that comes to mind? The first one that comes to mind is um, is not a very, probably not an original idea, but it's it's um, it's Sapiens. Um, oh yes. Which seems like everybody's reading and everybody's recommending, but but that book just just changed the way that I think about so many things. It gave me uh, context for understanding why we do what we do and why we make the decisions that we make, um, and why the world is the way it is, um, Mm. that that's, that's probably the one I would recommend. Yeah. Fantastic read by Yuval Noah Harari. And, um, he's got a new one out too. Have you managed to read that? Not yet, but this is the second time today that that that, that book has come up in conversation. So I, I definitely need to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it myself. What is one message tweet quote you would send or text tweet to the entire world Mm, the entire world well i'm gonna i'm gonna stay on message here i think and 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 tell people that if 
if you feel busy and distracted and you feel like you don't have time, uh, it's not your fault. It's not because you don't have enough willpower or self-control. Um, it's because of the world that we live in. It's because of the defaults that exist. Um, but at the same time, you're the, you're the only person who can really do anything about it. Mm. Um, nobody cares more about your time than you do. So I would, I would encourage people to both, um, be, to go easy on themselves, to, 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 to accept that it's not their, their fault, but, um, but also to take responsibility for their own time and for their own energy. Yeah. Cool. Do you believe we all have a hidden why or purpose? I think we probably do. I think that some people, um, are fortunate to know what their why is. Um, others, um, myself included, to be honest, uh, you know, I don't, I, I often have an intuitive sense of, of what I should be doing or, or what I want to be doing, but I don't always know what's driving that. So, yeah. so I'd say that that, um, yeah, that sits right with me. Okay. And what does living life with passion and purpose mean to you? For me, I'm very motivated by helping other people. You know, I think that, you know, when I get back to you know, your, your previous question about, about why that's the most consistent pattern is that when I feel like I can be in service of others, um, I feel, I feel good. Um, and, and I think part of that part, part of being effective in that way is to be able to enjoy and embrace the things that are good, the things that bring happiness and joy, but also not be, uh, overwhelmed or controlled by the things that happen to us, by the bad things that happen to us. So finding a way to, uh, live a life of passion by threading that needle, finding that middle road between, um, between, you know, embracing and pursuing joy while avoiding, uh, you know, feeling blindsided by, by the bad things that occasionally happen. Yeah. I like that. That's uh, very Buddhist of you, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> um, and sort of, um, the final question that I ask everyone is what, what do you believe is the primary or underlying motivation behind everything you do? You've sort of touched on that by saying, you know, to help others. Um, is that, would that be the answer? It probably would be, but I, I think there's probably something deeper and I'm still trying to figure out exactly where it comes from. But I think, um, we, we talked about it early on in the, in the conversation, just this idea that I want to be, um, I want to be spending my time on things that matter. I want to be, um, pouring my energy into things that I care about. And, uh, I, I'm not entirely sure where that, <laughs> that motivation comes from sometimes, but it's definitely there and it's definitely real some sort of underlying purpose deeper there i'm sure yeah. mate it's been a uh, absolute pleasure talking to you and guys yeah likewise um yeah no appreciate your time and um certainly want to encourage everyone listening to check out uh, your work timedorks.com um, but also the books as well have a bit more of a read there certainly a lot to learn if you're feeling uh the stress of time is too much overwhelming you and taking you away from those things that are important really important because um i believe and myself included 
we often do all these things that are just absolutely unnecessary. And I think by listening to some of the elderly people I talk to, um, we may just look back and regret some of those things. Um, so, you know, yeah. it's about focusing on That's what matters, right. which um, yeah. is aligned with your, your theme. So thanks for coming on, John. Yeah. Thank you very much, Lee. I really, really enjoyed it. Guys, check the show notes out at thehiddenwire.com, episode 658. And until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. Speak soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels, using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwide.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link and help support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there, breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Liam Mundancy until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon